The Wiggly Podcast, bringing your garden to life. Welcome to the Wiggly Podcast, number 11. Number 11, eh? We're supposed, yeah, we're supposed to review after number 10, but we're enjoying them so much. We're just carrying on. Oh, is that right? Excellent. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Good. Okay, what have we got on this week? Well, we've got some really exciting news from Farmer Phil. Now, yes. I know that he gets excited if the tractor starts, but <laughs> even so, this is big news. Poor Phil. Alison's coming in with Plant of the Week, which I'm really excited about, because we get to drink this week. Do we? We do. Oh. We'll a little taster session. Yeah. And we've got the competition result, uh, where we find out that crucial news, what colour was the cow? Yes. And who won? I've been talking to Alex at Small Business Pod, but in the meantime, you and I, Rich, are going to have a chat about what we've been up to in London with regard to designing mini gardens and also with what you've been up to in hay. Right. But before that, the thing that I'm thinking about is MP3s versus podcasting because I've been talking to people and they don't understand the difference. So I know, listener, you've probably subscribed via iTunes, but just in case you've downloaded a moment of this, the key thing with podcasting is to go and subscribe. And that way, every week you'll have our drivel coming to you over those internet airways instead of having to go back to a website and get another file. So if you haven't subscribed, Go to iTunes, click on Wiggly Wigglers and subscribe. And if you can't manage that, go to Wiggly Wigglers, through to podcasts and subscribe. And that way every week you'll get news from Wiggly Wigglers. You can obviously listen on your machine. But if you choose to... Machine? If you, Darling, police! <laughs> if you choose to, to download it onto your iPod, yes. you can do that as well, can't you? And take it away with you. Yeah. If you have an MP3 player, can you download it onto MP3 players? In some cases, you can. Our podcast is available in M4A file, so that it's generally iTunes, and that way you get the pictures. Right. But if you've got an MP3 player, you will be able to get the Wiggly podcasts because we'll have the older shows available for you to download onto your mp3 player but it's really important that you go to itunes because itunes has the pickies so you can click on them so it's much more fun did you know i've got these podcasts going into our two local hairdressers you told me yeah Yeah, yeah, cool anyway we must get on with the show um so (laughs) i did an interview earlier in the week with alex from small biz pod and if you want to hear it, go to smallbizpod.co.uk because by the time you hear this podcast, it'll be up. And he does a fantastic show for small business. Right. Getting on? Okay. Tell him about <laughs> mini gardens, Rich. Mini gardens. Well, we went down to business in the community. Bitsy, apparently. They're called Bitsy. Right. Are they? When I spoke to Sarah about it the other day, she said, oh, Bitsy. I said, who, who are Bitsy? She said, business in the community. That's what we call them. Oh. So, because they're voluntary sector, aren't they? So, yes. So, anyway, we went pottering down there. Great setting, wasn't it? Right by the canal. It was a lovely setting. Really nice. And they'd invited us down to look at designing something, kind of looking at a holistical design for the whole of their building. So, bringing their building to life, in effect, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, they started off by talking about just composting. Yeah. But you and I talked about that before we went, and I know Jim from the Bitsy yeah. had the similar concerns, that if you've got compost, 
what are you going to do with the compost? Otherwise, it's just another form of waste. So, right. first of all, you have kitchen waste, and then you have compost, but you still haven't got anything to do with it. Right. So, the, our, our objective was to find them ways of using their compost. So, if they have wormeries, then you know, all well and good. But what we wanted to do was make sure that they had a, an outlet for their compost as well that they could use, mm. you know, constructively. And to be fair, we've no idea if they'll take on board these ideas yet, so no. we mustn't get too excited. No. But the ideas. They'll be excited by the ideas, won't they? I think and we so. We came up with some corking ideas, clonkers, to, to use one of your expressions. <laughs> <laughs> but we trotted on down to London on the train and we had a chance to talk about the possible designs for their building. And of course, it's only really when you get down on site that you can see what's achievable. Yeah. Well, they had, I think it was 15 bays that essentially was a, a narrow corridor overlooking the canal. And there was the opportunity to use in between those bays for our project. So they have, they have their bays and their pillars. Now, what do you do? What do you put in a, in a concrete bay? Well, we had to have something that was portable. We had to have something that was useful. Yeah. So we've come up with lots of different mini bars. Yes. Which I, I like the idea of, because then you've got your food or your wildlife on tap. Yeah. So some of the ideas range from having a composting bar, which is easy for you and I to make, isn't it? Yeah. So a lot of worm composters with liquid feed coming off them. And also things like a cutting patch. When we went inside the office, we noticed that they got lots of cut flowers in reception. Yeah. But they didn't know where they'd come from. That's they right. were very interested in the possibility of growing their own. Yeah. So we came up with the idea of them having their own cutting patch, which was a small bar, probably about 10 foot long, where they can grow their own flowers and harvest them for the reception. Yeah. And incidentally, I had an email from somebody who asked me exactly the same thing. How do I go about growing my own cutting patch? Well, the first thing you must do is get The Cutting Garden by Sarah Raven. It's one of the best books for trying to grow your own flowers all year round. She gives you tons of ideas. Right. What was your favourite idea? Because we came up with ten bars in all, didn't we? We did. It's interesting. I'm not sure that I've got a, a favourite as such. I quite like the salad bar, though, purely because it just conjures up images of tasty, crunchy radishes and, and rocket that you can prune and chuck into your cheese sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they were bringing in their own sarnies. Yeah, it and they were all easy. bought, weren't they? They were you know, all kind of plastic packaging and, and you know, the, the kind of things that busy people tend to do because, yeah. you know, they, you leave the office and you want to, you know, Go, go and buy some lunch so you quickly shoot down to M&S or wherever and uh, buy your sarnies and back to the office again but this would give people the opportunity to be able to shoot out of the office but perhaps cut some of their own greens to put into their, their own sandwiches yeah. so you know ideal so it'll not only will it improve the place aesthetically yeah. but also it'll give people the opportunity to be more involved in things associated with the company they're working for and to harvest the spoils of their efforts. Yeah, and whether or not we go ahead with this actual project, I think the ideas that you and I came up with and learnt while we were there can be put into other businesses. Yeah. So it would be lovely to have a web page up which explains all that yep. and the ideas and how you can link in not just producing compost not just saving landfill with things that you can actually do practically it's so interesting our little jollies aren't they there is a bit of a learning curve for us as well as uh, you know we're, we're in a position where we can provide advice and support to other people but we're fortunate enough to be able to learn things through the whole process as well you mean like how to change trains <laughs> that's always useful yeah yeah then we did well didn't we no, we did do well we yeah we managed uh, we the circle line <laughs> 
Yeah, we've got the tube well and truly sus now. So that's London done, but on a more local level, although hay is world-renowned for its books, mm. you're up there at the Winter Hay Festival. That's now, right, they have a winter I don't know weekend. whether listeners have heard of the Summer Hay Festival, but, but certainly that gets, I think, somewhere in the region of 80,000 visitors and authors from all around the world. So what's the winter one about? There were talks on, on various things, sustainable development. Monty Don was there giving a talk partly about his life, but uh, he was doing a, a, a book review, one of his own books as well. That's a good a, idea. A nice mix. Review your own book. Review your own <laughs> book, yeah, absolutely. I think that might be something that we might be well, I think we might in, do, quite, yeah. Possibly, fingers crossed. Uh, <laughs> Milker, yeah, <laughs> no, definitely no. Milker. No, no Milker, no more Milkers. <laughs> On that note, I must say uh, that Amy Stewart, who's written the book, The Earthworm Book, um, will be coming on a future podcast to tell us all about it. Great, and I look so, forward to that. Yeah. It looks like a good book. What did you do at Hay? Well, I did two workshops. The first one was geared for children, um, little ones, probably, I don't know what those guys were, probably six, between six and nine or something like that. Yeah. I took in loads of elder branches and teasel and evening primrose and bags of bark that I got off a, a fallen oak tree on the farm, which I think have naturally been part of the podcast. I think that was podcast number one, I yeah, think. Yeah, I seem to remember. Anyway, so I took them down there and uh, get all the kids round. And uh, first of all, I let them have a look at the worms. So I had a look at the worms and I was telling them all the juicy facts about worms. You know, that got them excited. And then I asked them whether or not any of them were particularly bothered by insects, whether they're frightened of creepy crawlies <laughs> yeah so of course no one ever admits to it no. <laughs> so I had these big bags full of bark and all sorts of juicy things that were you know living in this bark from the tree and uh, emptied this huge sack of bark and dust and all sorts of rotten wood across the <laughs> across the table and uh, and all the kids jumped back and there was lots of screaming and trying to grab <laughs> centipedes and wood lice and spiders and Good all sorts word. of things. And uh, so that gave us a chance to, that was a real kind of icebreaker. So I gave them, they all had jam jars each and they could catch their little bug. And then that gave us a chance to look at what they've caught and how it exists and why it lives in that rotten wood. And to look at how, you know, why and how there is a community of life in, the, in those kind of situations. So that was really fun. And then we went on to look at the teasels, look at the elder and look at the evening primrose and look at the parts that those plants play in a garden but also how you can use those plants to make a refuge for, for other invertebrates. We cut the elder stems and we cut the teasel stems and we made bug bottles. I asked before we went to the Hay Festival, I, it was part of their brochure, was to say that any children that would like to come along, please bring you know, an, an old plastic bottle with them. So that was great. So they bought their plastic bottles. So we had a, a cylinder to make the bug bottles. So we stuffed the cylinder with stems. And of course, during this process, I was explaining to the children why they're doing this. And they're asking me all sorts of stuff. And I, I said to them, I'm talking all about solitary bees and the fact that some bees like to excavate their stems like leafcutter bees. And some bees would prefer to use the hollow stem of a teasel, like your red mason yeah. bees, for instance. So they're really into it. And interestingly enough, when I, I left the building and went over to the main office and some guy came in and said, guys, all these kids walking out talking about solitary bees and all these things. <laughs> and I thought, great, well, that's brilliant. That's had a real impact. And of course, we talked about teasels and their ecological significance in providing fantastic uh, blossoms for foraging invertebrates like butterflies and bees, and you know, really, really good. And, and also their role later on when their blossoms have gone over in providing seed for foraging birds like goldfinches. So we talked about that, and it cost the kids are really into it now. And then uh, we chopped the heads off the teasels, chopped the bottoms off the teasels to make them uh, nice and smooth, yeah. and got little peppercorns and stuck peppercorns on either side of the stem, which is now a snout, and, uh, and stuck the teasel onto bark. Teasel hedgehogs 
Rock on! <laughs> Teaser hedgehogs. So the, so the kids have got this great ornament that they could make and take home with them, plus their bug boxes. And also, they had a, a really smart certificate that you made up. To say I that did make it, yeah. What, how did it go? What did it say on the certificate? Uh, it said, you've successfully wiggled your way through the wiggly workshop in hay. <laughs> <laughs> so, they loved it. so that went really well brilliant absolutely brilliant and then the second session were the slightly older children so they uh they we were making bird boxes so yeah <laughs> i've never made quite so many bird boxes in such a small space of time I in my life quality control yeah quality oh snap. absolutely it was pip would have loved these bird boxes <laughs> I'm not entirely sure we could have, what they did would have you sold them in the Wiggly catalogue. Quality oak. Quality oak, FFC, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely, yeah, oh yeah, the, the rest of the class of hinges and stuff it? like that. They were old, uh, they were old, yeah, pallet wood, and uh, we did have some environmentally sound treated wood right. that we also used, um, but really it was a question of trying to put this thing together, and also we had some old inner tube for the hinges. That, I love that, that idea, because uh, yeah, you got a it idea. Fill, didn't you? Yeah, I've got some old tractor tyres, and I lobbed the tractor tyre inner tubes into, into a whole group of children and said, there you go, guys, get cutting. Yeah. So they were in there cutting straps, and of course it's all lovely and black and messy, and you know, they kind of they love it getting into a right state. Oh, so God, we made these bird boxes. Oh, God, it's a health and safety nightmare. Yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> and of course there's always these things, because you imagine some of the wood was wet, and I foolishly gave the children a choice of whether they should have nest box for robins or for tits or for both good idea <laughs> but, oh not both but all for both because unwittingly i gave myself more work to do in the process because <laughs> i was the only guy on a saw because obviously you can't imagine you can't give kids saws otherwise it's straight down to a and e so of course they all wanted it for everything didn't they obviously so um so of course i had to chop the front bit of wood in half so that both bits could be fixed onto the front but the one bit screwed on could be taken off for you robins. must tell a listener the difference between what a robin needs and what a tit needs right well robins prefer slightly open fronted boxes they don't like to be quite so enclosed or teapots strange things robins like to nest in right they like to nest in they'll <laughs> nest on the on an old car tyre rim won't they if they or get a teapot. chance or, or, or an old tractor tyre or you know on in a barn or some something crazy but the unfortunate thing was because all this wood was wet when I was trying to drill it the blinking wood wouldn't drill properly so I was going round and round and round and I was sweating thinking oh my god look at the time I'd be here all day doing this and and of course I I was putting so much pressure on the bird box I ended up breaking the wood that I was trying to drill through how many bird boxes did you successfully make? Uh, I successfully made seven bird boxes in in, 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 something like an hour so that was some sort of going you know, it's interesting with children. You, anybody with children will know this. But if you want to do something, it's much quicker to do things without children <laughs> helping. So it adds a new dimension when you've got children uh, helping, in inverted brackets. Yeah. That's fantastic, Richard. We must move on. OK. So we'll yeah. go on and invite in Farmer Phil. OK, take. So it's come in, Farmer Phil. How are you, Phil? Very well, thank you, Rich. Yeah. <laughs> so what have you been up to? Well, this weekend something happened which doesn't happen very often and it was just particularly good because of the cow that it happened to. She's a cow who hasn't had a car for 18 months. Right. And so was living on borrowed time a little bit, but she's a nice cow. <laughs> yeah. And on Friday night we realised that she was actually going to oblige us by calving. So right. we were keeping an eye on her. And at midnight on Friday night, I went out and realised that she was calving. And on investigating, came across a calf's head, no legs. So first problem, both front legs back. Right. Can't carve like that. So cured that, 
carved live heifer calf. Great, I thought. Yeah. That's a plus in itself. Yeah. And for some reason, Sixth Sense, whatever you like, had another investigation, two more back legs. Right, right. So uh, then managed to produce a bull calf backwards, so breech presentation, and yeah. he was alive and well as well. Great. And so managed to um, tube them with a litre of colostrum each, which is critical to their What's health. What's colostrum? Colostrum is the mother's first milk, which has got all the antibodies in it to give them their natural immunity. Right. What, why yeah. did you tube them? Tube them is... He stuck a tube down their throat and just gave it them. Why didn't you just let them drink? Ah, the, the reason for that is that with twins, it's very important that you know that the calves have had some of this colostrum within eight hours of birth. And with twins, you might be able to tell that the mother had been sucked, but you may not be able to tell which one had sucked her. It's much better to know that they've had the colostrum and then you, you've got time to sort yourself out. Right. So that Fantastic. was... Really good. They're very, yeah. very pleased. And yeah, there's a very true. proud mother in the yard with two fine, healthy calves. Brilliant. So it was a good job. Yeah, that's a nice start to the weekend. Good, what good. about how he calves them, though? Because Isn't it a bit messy and He has to help them. And <laughs> 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 it's a bit like James Herriot, isn't it? Oh, he just, you know, yeah. the idea of to get he stuck takes right his shirt on, off. Stuck in. And then <laughs> he takes a big so bowl of hot water and plunges his way. No, how do you do it, Phil? <laughs> well... I'm sorry to destroy your illusion, but it is a bit of a contact sport. But I use what's called a carving aid, which is rather crudely a a thing like a a jack. The benefit of it is that single-handed I can apply a constant tension to the calf, which is the bit that's important. So particularly where you've got a malpresentation, so legs back or breech presentation, the birth canal doesn't open up properly. All the natural processes get put out of kilter so that for me to be able, without busting a gut, to put traction on the calf, not necessarily very strong traction, but just enough to keep pulling in the right direction, the birth canal opens up and you begin to get the right processes going again. And it's very much more peaceful for the mother. She's not as hassled by it. With just one person, you can exert all the traction you need in a controlled way, and it's much safer, and I've found it to be by far the best way to do it, and particularly in cases like this where the natural processes had effectively gone wrong. Yeah. Without assistance, she'd have lost both calves. Right. So yeah. I suppose ultimately it would have killed her as well. Yeah. How so often do you have to check them? Because we've got that machine in the bedroom, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we use um, closed-circuit TV so that we can watch them. Now, that, that just means that some cows take a long time, they'll muck about and they're uncomfortable and wandering around for a number of hours before either they're actually going to carve or, or they need help or whatever. So it's much easier and, again, more peaceful for them to watch them on closed-circuit TV unobtrusively. so much better than normal telly. <laughs> yeah, it probably is, yeah. So, uh, so. yes, that, that's what that's for. But, I mean, really... You get a feel for it. And if it started carving, something ought to happen within an hour or two, no more. Right. If it hasn't actually started carving, then you can stretch the intervals out to sort of six hours, something like that. Right. But the important thing is that it is a natural process and normally works perfectly well. You're trying to pick up the ones where there's a problem. The sooner you pick them up, the easier they are to solve. If you've got a problem that's gone too far, it gets much harder to cure. Right. So... <clears throat> the result is one brown cow? One black and white cow, very happy. 
two grey and white calves, one bull, one heifer, in first class order, all well. And he took the pictures for the podcast within how many minutes? Five minutes. That's my boy. Thank you, Phil. (laughs) Competition time, Richard. It's time to announce the answer. The big announcement. Yes. Now, despite there being a little difference in terms of the cow being pink in (laughs) iTunes, it wasn't, in fact, pink. Could you, Richard, tell us what colour was South Devon cow in... Podcast five. A brown. A brown cow. <laughs> brown. <laughs> Only Phil could have come up with that question. <laughs> a brown cow. Lovely. Yeah. Well, the winner is Vicky Cowles. So thank you, Vicky. And she's given us lots of feedback on our podcast, things she likes, things that she thinks we can improve. And one of the things was to have more stuff for owners of tiny gardens. Right. So as we develop uh, mini gardens, that will become more obvious, I think, and yeah, more right. used to her. But she says she's particularly interested in bug boxes, so there's a bit in this week's podcast for her. Yep. And she found very interesting the bit about feeding the birds and importing wild birds. It's a bit of controversy that you brought up. She said, I thought your piece on bird flu was great, as people are really overreacting. I'll still be feeding the birds, as usual. A couple of things you've highlighted that I thought were important were the imported peanuts we use to feed our birds, podcast three, Mm -hmm. and the imported wild birds, podcast five, particularly with the peanuts. A small change could make all the difference in terms of using locally produced feed. So thank you very much, Vicky. And I hope you enjoy your book, which is A Greener Life by Clarissa Dixon-White. Yeah, I'm sure you will. It's a fantastic book. And now, this week... Oh, it's going to be great, because we've got Alison coming in to talk about alcohol. No, no, to talk about Something Plant similar. of the Week. Yes. So, hello, Al. Hello, babe. Oh, yeah, she's, right. she's, she's come down she's to earth today, Richard, yeah, because she's been flying all over the world. She's been off to New York, then she comes back to Wiggly Wigglers, day one back, and it's the forklift driving course, <laughs> which right. I understand you played a part in, Richard. Uh, no, no, I was, I was uh, not, well, I did play a part, not a constructive part, not to be said. I was, well, not, could uh, you enlighten came us? in on the theory test, Rich. Yeah, I, I did. did ask if you'd like to help me, but you declined. What did I say? <laughs> what are you all doing? Yeah, what are you all doing? It's total silence and Richard pops in. What are you doing? <laughs> Why are you all so quiet? <laughs> Phil, stop copying. And so we must know, and um, what, what please are the results of the forklift test? Well, we all passed, amazingly so. Really? I think I was a bit borderline at one stage, right. but you know. And who came top of the class? Well, I couldn't tell you that. It was Farmer Phil, I'm afraid. Oh, typical. Farmer Phil. Yeah. Oh, well, move, moving on, moving on. Yes. <laughs> um, so, Al, you, you brought us well I, over to Richard because you've got hold of this yeah, yeah, twig. Yeah, it, well, it's just a little bit like a twig at the moment, isn't it? Again, Alison's thrust something into my hand which I'm not entirely sure what it is but it is a slightly bruised specimen of what exactly it's blackthorn Mitch sorry it's the first one I got out of the you, 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 <laughs> the you, you reversed it <laughs> <laughs> hurry up hurry up <laughs> yeah yeah so t- tell us a bit about blackthorns so. yeah blackthorn well they're quite uh, sturdy plants as you can see that the main thorns come off the main stem of thorn and they are really quite sharp beastly things Roots are quite a rubbery root system they have and are quite, sometimes quite difficult to take. Um, they don't adapt to shady sites. They, they don't like shady sites, but any other site um, 
they'll do well in. Yeah. So um, are there any preferences over saw types? Um, no, not really. Great big long thorns, aren't they? Yeah, they are huge. And sometimes if you get stabbed by them, they do go septic. They're quite yeah. dangerous. So you have to be careful when you plant them. But you, you're not selling this one to me, Al. A lot of times of the week. No. <laughs> it's been backed over and it, it, you go septic if you touch it. <laughs> well, sometimes people have not an allergic reaction well. to them. It's not going well. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's, lo it's a lovely plant. It's, it grows very vigorously in a hedge. Um, it sometimes suckers out, which causes a dense thicket. So if planted with the other species, um, then it, it becomes wonderful uh, for insects, butterflies, birds to roost ah, in. Ah, the perfect months. robin home. Um, yes, the perfect yeah, robin yes. home. Yeah, you could definitely put your teapot in one of these. You bushes. could definitely put your yes. teapot, uh, yeah. assuming that you could get past the thorns that would obviously yeah, cause that's you to right. That's right. But then <laughs> keep, keep the dreaded cat away, though, wouldn't it, perhaps? Be brilliant to keep the cat away, Absolutely, wouldn't it? Absolutely, yeah, keep cats out of your garden. They wouldn't go through that one. We've got a yeah. wonderful picture taken by John Harding in our catalogue. We have. Of Blackthorn with a, a blackbird, and he's got a blackthorn in his beak, and it looks as if somebody has rammed it in there <laughs> because it's so big and juicy. And so, what are those berries? This is the key well, thing, isn't it? Berries, that's why I like this one so much. They're used for slow gin, to make slow gin during the winter months. So they are slows then? Slows, slow berries, yes. So tell me what they look like, because are they the ones with like the sort of fog on them? Yeah, they're black, quite large really, and sort of a cloudy appearance on them. Yeah, you rub them, don't you? Yeah, and they, and they... you have to clean them before Yeah. You put them with the gin. And um, so can we have the Alison definitive guide to making slow gin and what we are to do with it? <laughs> well, you need... And when are we to make it? Well, slows were on the bushes probably a month ago. You might still find them, actually, because uh, we've only had a couple of frosts. Mind you, we had that snowy weather, so... Yeah, you just collect the slows off the bushes and you prick each one with a pin to stop them exploding when they're in the gin. And would you like the recipe? Yes, please. Well, approximately. It's not precise or anything. Uh, we'll live with that. <laughs> approximately two pints of gin... Um, a, a pound of sloes, already pricked with a pin, and eight ounces of sugar. And you put them in a large pot or a big bottle with a, quite a large top, and you just shake it every day. We use a three-litre orange squash bottle. Oh, ideal. Just so that you know. Mm, yep. And you do it sort of October, November time. <laughs> it's ready for Christmas, but usually it's better after Christmas. It's had longer to stew. Okay. And then you just take the sloes out, drain it and drink it and yum. <laughs> and uh, what occasion would you uh, drink this on after? Well, you could drink it at Christmas time or you could take it with your trips off in your hip flask. Um, it's a real winter warmer. <laughs> it's Lovely. a skiing one, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is a skiing one too. <laughs> Have you ever made it, Rich? Yes, yes, lots of times. So it's it's fantastic stuff, and I love it in a hip flask, especially when you're kind of fishing or you know wandering about <laughs> in the countryside. The interesting thing is that a slow, whilst it makes really tasty slow gin, when you pick one and stick it in your mouth, it yeah. dries oh, your mouth yeah. out. Yeah, it's it? really bitter. Dries yeah. your mouth out. But it makes cheap gin fantastic. Yeah, beautiful absolutely, stuff. Yeah. absolutely wonderful. Beautiful. Yeah. On that note, we'll slope off. <laughs> <laughs> Well done, Richard. Uh, shock, jock. The weekly podcast, Blooming iPods. Well, here's Monty with his Wormcast. The Wiggly Wormcast podcast by Monty. A weekly fact on worms. Worms can eat half their own body weight every day. That means a kilo of worms can eat half a kilo of your kitchen waste every day.
Thank you, Monty. Well, Rich, we're allowed to mention Christmas. Not long now, is it? Are you going to have a tree? Are you going to have a Christmas tree this year? Well, I'll definitely have some form of Christmas tree. We normally prune our willows, so clip off the, the willow in the winter. Right. We bring in a lot of crinkly willow and decorate it. And then up the staircase, we do lots of ivy and holly and bits and bobs. Lovely. So we'll do that. But are you having one? Uh, maybe, maybe. Not sure yet. Might do something like you've done, something creative. You know, it depends. There's, there are problems with, with getting rid of Christmas trees, aren't there? Once you've got the thing and, uh, you know, if you've cut one and put it in your lounge, then what, do you, what are you going to do with it after you've finished decorating it? And yeah, I mean, apparently 7 million Christmas trees are grown and sold in the UK and most end up as landfill. Of course, you can shred it. You can use the, your bark as compost because you don't want to miss out, do you? No. Or you could grow your own. Grow your own now. That is a good idea. Yeah. So you could grow your own and then just pop it back into the garden. Got to be a bit careful because it has to acclimatise when you put it back out because it'll be really warm in the house and then cold outside. So a little bit of steady care, but perfectly able to do that. And right. then you can keep bringing it in year after year. Excellent. Until it Excellent. gets such a giant thing that you have to actually knock your house down to let it in. <laughs> <laughs> right, we're podded. Great. Pod. See ya. Pod. <laughs>